Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I just would like to welcome you all to today's uh, Southern Rural Council for Public Affairs session. Uh, my name is Jennifer Tarnowski, and I will be your moderator for this afternoon. Um, so just a couple of quick reminders. Uh, if everybody could please uh, turn off their cell phones um, before our speaker comes up, that would be fantastic. Um, Shaw TV will be recording our session and it will be available online uh, through this website and will be broadcasted through their uh, TV channel. Um, there is a little basket on your table, so if you could uh, please remember to put the $11 for lunch and then designate an individual to count and, and ensure it's the correct amount for the table, that would be uh, much appreciated. Um, and of course, as, as usual, today we'll have 25 to 30 minutes for the, uh, the session, the lunch, and then the question period. And so we'll wrap up around 1.30. Um, so it is my pleasure today to introduce uh, Dr. Claudia Malacrida. Uh, she will be doing her talk, uh, is publicly funded research important and at risk. Uh, so Claudia is the Associate Vice President of Research at the University of Lethbridge. Uh, she has served as the Chair of the Sociology Department from 2011 to 2015, uh, and she is the Emirates Board of Governors Research Chair in Sociology. Um, she was a key member of the Red Ribbon uh, Ministerial Panel, uh, which stru was struck to investigate the current state of research in Canada. Uh, in her talk today, uh, she will provide some insights into why research matters, uh, not only to the universities and researchers, uh, but to students, the community, uh, local, national, and global economies. Uh, so with that, let's all give Claudia a warm welcome. Well, I spent, I spent this morning polishing this talk and trying to figure out how to make research sexy, so I kind of hope I get there. It, it's one of those topics that I'm, I'm hardened by how many people are in the room because I wouldn't show up for this talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> in any case, um, we, have a, we have a liberal government in place and one of the first things, if any of you were paying attention to research that the liberal government did, was reinstate the long-form census and really try and reinvigorate Statistics Canada. We've had a long history as a nation of having a really robust research infrastructure, a really robust intellectual um, landscape, and data collection that is uh, the envy of many other developed nations. So uh, Minister Kirsty Duncan, uh, who is the Minister of Science, uh, convened uh, this panel and uh, had us investigate what we call fundamental research. And I just want to make clear that this is research that we call fundamental, basic, or unfettered. It means not what an industry partner asks us to research, but what researchers and the discipline and maybe the community have, um, have in mind for researchers to engage with. There was a simultaneous review happening at the same time under Minister uh, Navdeep Baines, who is the Minister of Innovation, and they were looking at more co commercializable stuff. It was a pretty august group, <coughs> seven uh, orders of Canada, one Nobel Peace Prize, and me. So I kind of felt a little bit uh, intimidated, but it was a really important inclusion for, for me to be there. I feel not because of me personally, but as, as a woman researcher, as a social scientist slash humanist, I'm a historian and sociologist, and as somebody who is not from Toronto, Vancouver, or Montreal, I think it was really important that those kinds of issues uh, got brought to the table, and I will say that they were. 
So we were given two main uh, research questions. First of all, is there any gaps in the program and you know what needs to be addressed? So we started pretty neutrally, like not assuming that there were gaps, and then asking how it was that we were doing in comparison with Canada's previous performance, how we compared with other comparable countries, and whether or not um, there were models that we could emulate. And I'm not gonna cover all of this because in fact, the report ended up being 280 pages long, and I don't think we've got time or interest to go there with it. We um, did an online portal, and we had over 1,300 submissions, many of them from organizations such as universities, but also faculty associations, student associations, um, uh, things like um, research organizations that work outside of university structures. We held face-to-face -face meetings with over 230 researchers across the country. These research group um, researchers included everything from graduate students through to Nobel laureates. So we really tried to cover the waterfront that way. We also did a ton of research and had a secretariat that was dedicated to, uh, to the job. Uh, and we interviewed over 200 bureaucrats, politicians, and statisticians on the State of the Union. As I say, we, we uh, met and produced this 280-page uh, report, and last March was the initial uh, launch. Uh, it was launched after the budget was announced, and that was uh, strategic because they wanted to give it a year to sort of ramp it up so that all of these lobby groups could actually engage with pressing with uh, members of parliament, ministers, all that stuff. And that's really why I want to talk to you guys today, because we've, uh, we have, as a university, officially sent letters in. A faculty association has sent letters in. I gave a talk on campus in which we collected a petition. And I think it's important that community members also have their voice uh, added to this chorus. So when it's done, I'll send Knut uh, a letter and as a template if, and where you can send it to. And if you feel so moved, um, please write to the Minister and, uh, and to the Minister of Finance, who is the one that I understand now really matters, and ask him and her to support, um, to support research in Canada. One other group that has, um, has been active in this is Universities Canada, which is a, a sort of a, a non-profit organization that represents university interests across the country. And they, on the heels of our report, did a survey of Canadian citizens like yourselves and asked them what they thought about universities today in Canada. And these are some of the results that they, come, they came up with. And I just want to say it's kind of, you know, you can see in the descending order of color, a kind of a sad tale. You know, we're friendly, we do valuable research at 77%, but down at the bottom, we start to see ourselves sliding back when it comes to being world-class. This is perception, of course dynamic and adequately funded. So if I could have written this list and done it this way, I would have actually, that would have been, you know, the way I would have loved to have seen it play out. And Canadians feel this way and understand the system to be looking this way. This was a survey of 2,500 people across the country. <clears throat> when asked the question that I care most about as a, as a research uh, leader, um, the question is, you know, how important is research in Canada? 
Um, they feel that research work in Canada is vitally important to 84% of the of the op, of the respondents. This is actually a really significant kind of a finding. And the other 16 said it's you know it's nice, but really it doesn't matter. I think the more you know about universities, the more you understand that university teaching and university research arts are, are connected intimately with one another. We bring our research to the classroom, we bring our students into our research arenas, whether it's a lab or an interview setting, and so they're not really separate in any way, although <clears throat> I think some people, and I see it with my really junior students, they're surprised to know that we even do research. They think, they think it's just a bigger school. But research is a big part of what universities do. So why would we care about research if you weren't a researcher and didn't have your own personal passion? So at the macro level, and these are findings that the panel came up with, we know that there's lots and lots of societal benefits to the kind of research that we see our colleagues at the universities doing. It, um, it produces longer and healthier lives. Canada enjoys one of the longest lifespans in the, in the world compared to similarly developed countries. It develops technology, but it also helps to produce good policy, uh, policy that will improve our quality of life, that will help us to live, to improve our citizenship. Uh, it sustains our standard of living. It, the list is on and on and on. So at the macro level, Research is very, very helpful. At the sort of local level, which is what I tried to push for a little bit uh, in my work at the, at the table as part of the panel, we can see other kinds of outcomes. We have um, 600 graduate students per year who float through the hallways of the University of Lethbridge. All of them are engaged with research. They're engaged with learning how to think critically, how to develop a problem, a statement of a problem, imagine a solution to it, and investigate the efficacy of that solution. This is good citizenship, and this is the kind of leadership that researcher trains our young people to, research trains our young people to do. This is uh, an elevated kind of a list, but in the next, in the next slide I want to show you just what that can actually mean in terms of hard dollars and cents. Uh, in the meanwhile, before I go forward, I just want to say that fundamental research, this notion of research that is driven by knowledge that is produced within a discipline or that is produced by a researcher who has spent decades developing a deep and intimate knowledge of a, of a particular social problem is very often research that doesn't get funded because, uh, because it isn't uh, sexy or interesting to um, industry. But the reality is that very often the kinds of things that researchers will develop will 10, 15, 20 years later find themselves and their way into an application. I don't know if people know who Hedy Lamar is here, but Hedy, uh, there, she's been again recently in the news because she developed the technology in the 50s that is the basis of Wi-Fi. And it has been made commercializable in, a, a, in an applicable kind of a way 50 to 60 years later, we never know, right, what technology can do or where it's going to be developed. So 
What does it mean to Lethbridge and Lethbridge particularly? Just taking hard dollars, never mind those higher order kinds of, you know, we produce good citizens or we investigate with passion or we love our work or we improve the quality of life, none of that. Let's just take dollars and let's only take federal government dollars. Federal government research funding directly supports over 200 undergraduate students every summer. We have uh, those students working on our research projects funded through, the, funded through federal um, student awards. These are our best and our brightest. That adds up to uh, $0.4 million every summer. Uh, research funding directly supports about 150 graduate and master's students and that money is based on their excellence. They're not, not all of our graduate students get funded in this way but this is again the brightest and the best of our graduate students. Uh, that totals again another 0.4 million. Research funding, and this is uh, where the big one comes in. This is where folks like me make a grant application to the federal government and bring in, uh, bring in a grant and we hire students. And this happens, to, um, this happens in between um, 60 and 70% of federal research dollars that go to research projects actually go to student support. I've had um, pretty close to a million dollars over the last 15 years in research funding, which is kind of, it's, it's nothing compared to what many researchers have, but as a historical sociology sociologist, it's kind of stunning. And I've been able to put through 12 uh, master's students, uh, graduate student, and a postdoctoral fellow, and I've provided them life support into a total of 25 years worth of, worth of living money and income out of the money that I've received from the federal government. So 60 to 70% of that money comes in and it goes right to students and we generate every year on average about $9 million worth of funding. So that comes to $5.56 million that goes to students. They live here, they buy their groceries, they get their gas, you know, they do all of these things. So the, the, gen the, the direct injection, if you want to say, um, of capital based on the research funding that is generated by researchers at the University of Lethbridge is close to $7 million a year. It's not bubkas, right? It's something that really actually affects not just the quality of life of students, but, but the local economy, local businesses, all of those things. So who actually pays for research and how does research actually get funded? We earn about $9 million worth of, um, of, of federal funding at the University of Lethbridge, but that is not the entirety of the costs of doing research. So the federal panel actually looked at the cost of doing research, turning on lights, running payroll, having uh, offices and space available, having faculty members, because in a sense, if I write a grant proposal and I do my research, it's like that's part that the big piece of that cost that isn't going to students is my salary. So 40% or 50% of my salary, which goes to research time, is being paid by universities, right? So, so it's like how do we add all of that up and parse it out? I am not a statistician and I don't know my way around it, but I will uh, try and help us walk through this a little bit. There's really three kind of key components. I just want to point this one out. This one here at the bottom. At the bottom, she said with no mic. The one at the bottom is, um, is, is foreign investment is the lowest. And then we see business investment in research. And you can see that it's not 
really impressive. It has stayed flat. It has stayed low as a proportion of the overall cost. And, and these are non-inflation adjusted dollars, right? So the, the ones that we really see um, mattering most and the ones that I want to discuss uh, most about where the lion's share of the money come are these top two lines, the, the blue solid one and the gray dotted one. <clears throat> the blue solid line reflects what we call uh, GERD which is basically, it, it's an acronym that race, means gross domestic expenditures on research. It basically means the number of federal government dollars that go to directly to research costs in the country. And the other one is HERD, higher ex education expenditures on research. And this is the money that universities are paying to support the research enterprise through partial salaries of faculty, through providing buildings in which this can occur, through having payroll, all of those kinds of infrastructure costs. You can see that it's, surprisingly enough, we've seen an increase proportionally of the amount of money that's coming out of higher education itself to pay for the research enterprise. And while that may not seem like it's a problem, what it, has, what it has really meant is that this happens to the detriment of other aspects of what universities do. This is the thing that, on paper it's just a graph, but what it means in real life is we don't hire new faculty because we don't have money to replace positions. We increase course and class sizes because we have to tighten up on faculty levels. We ask faculty to sit more and more on service committees and things like this because there's fewer and fewer and fewer of them. So this creates a really tense post-secondary environment and it creates a lot of pressure on faculty. And uh, I, I think it's fair to say that the fact that the money has not increased uh, in, in, in business and the money that has not increased in government for over this 15 years to any appreciable amount um, has produced a pretty unhappy uh, university climate. Sad news, eh? I should just give you an example of, of, of an, uh, beside the faculty thing, um, of just what it might mean not to have an increase in, in, in funding over a 15-year period. So we have this thing in Canada called the Canada Research Chair Program. And it really is, you know, you are brilliant and we want to bring you here or you are brilliant and we're afraid someone's going to steal you so we want to keep you here kind of money. And for a junior person, the transfer amount on that is $100,000. And it has been $100,000 since 2001. The issue there is in, in 2001, and I, I'll just full disclose here, I started at the University of Lethbridge in 2002, having had two postdocs and a PhD a couple of years before for $55,000 a year. Wow, it was worth those 20 years of post-secondary education, I'm here to say. So $55,000, let's say, 2001, you have some money out of that 100K, you can set up a lab, you can give them some money to hire a couple of graduate students or a postdoctoral fellow, you can give them some money to organize a conference, all of that stuff. The average starting s salary, never mind for somebody who is identified as excellent at the university these days, ranges between 80 and 90,000. 
So there's a gap there. There's a gap of 30,000 that isn't available to do all of those other things. So that's what I say when I say universities are picking up that gap tab, right? Okay, the current state of affairs. We decided, as I said earlier, that we would look at how Canada's doing in comparison with, um, with other countries and, and in comparison with what it is that we um, have done previously. We have always had a strong reputation as, a, as, a, as an intellectual leader internationally. We've had a strong performance in a, in a number of fields, space exploration, neuroscience are really two uh, key examples. But we have found that our rankings have been slipping in terms of um, the number of publications that people have been pushing out, the number of dollars that people have been able to uh, earn for research projects, and the number of citations. So even the quality of the work is starting to suffer. Canada also lags behind in things like Nobel uh, nominations, uh, nominations from learned societies or scientific groups internationally, and we have fallen behind other countries that compare with us. When we compared the way that money comes to these countries, we found that the government funding and higher education funding ratio that we see in Canada sitting, if you remember that last, uh, that last graph, with the universities supporting and the government you know, coming in a very, very deep second, we are exceptional. In, in, in comparison to all G7 countries, and we are exceptional in comparison with 20 other nations that Israel, Australia, New Zealand, countries that we thought would, you know, Greece, that would be comparable in, in size and scale. And the a number of uh, dollars that researchers per capita get in Canada has been in steady decline. So <clears throat> this, is our, this is our report card. These are the countries that, uh, that are these sort of small comparators, not G7. And you can see that Canada, the little red one, the little red engine that could, is actually not doing all that well. Uh, and uh, countries like, um, like Singapore and Taiwan and Switzerland and Israel that really do, and there is a, when you see the data unpacked, which I, I'm not gonna do for time purposes today, but when, when, when you see the data, there is a direct relationship between feeding the beast, paying for it, and getting good product out of it. It's just, it, it's just pretty simple. So what did the, what did the, um, what did the panel decide that it needed to do? Well, the first thing we asked for didn't cost any money, so that was easy and it's already in place. So we asked, uh, we asked that there be some oversight panels put in place. There hasn't, there used to be, um, such bodies uh, uh, under the under the previous government, and there has has been a sort of dismantling of of some of those structures as well. So it, some of this is like bring in the old the old measures that helped, and so there is now a scientific uh, national panel that has oversight for funding, that has decision making. Um, capacity and that feeds directly not only to the minister but provides input 
directly to the prime minister, which is a kind of an interesting thing, because what ends up happening politically is the science minister, as sexy as that sounds, isn't very sexy in the federal landscape. And so she, you know, when it comes to a conversation of who's going to get the ear of the prime minister, will it be the minister of finance or will it be the minister of science? Well, you know where that's going to go. It's going to be the finance minister. So choosing to put this scientific panel in direct connection with the Prime Minister was a strategic decision that I hope will be really helpful. We've also established a chief scientific officer. This is like even Quebec has its own chief scientific officer and has had forever and Quebec is actually their performance elevates the rest of the country quite significantly. They have a very strong funding provincial program that supplements this lack of, of federal uh, oversight. They have a very strong um, uh, group that takes care of gaps between funding bodies and all of those kinds of things. And most other countries do have a chief scientific officer. So having one of these is something that is, um, that is really important to sort of set the strategic direction. Another thing that the panel asked for is there's been a, a long-standing, I would say over the last 10 years for sure, a long-standing impetus with federal funding and with provincial funding as well to sort of insist that research be innovative. And by innovative, what this usually means is that it, it be commercializable, right? Can, it, what you find out, can you actually make some money on it? And as I've said earlier, much research takes a long time to be commercializable, and so, and, and so this becomes quite challenging. We're right now at 70% of the research money that we see in the overall research landscape being innovation-focused, and 30% of it being unfettered research where somebody who has worked Brian Kolb, who has worked in the field of neuroscience for 40 years and has this deep and rich program, can make decisions about where he thinks the next big wave is coming or where he thinks the next big important question is arising. In the current landscape, he's got a 30% window of, where, of, of obtaining money for that unless he just happily coincides with a government initiative, and most of it is, is government-driven. So the panel asked to, re, to reverse that, to make it 70% unfettered and 30% innovation and, 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 and see what science can do for itself. The, the third one is to you know, fund, fund research adequately so universities aren't robbing the classroom uh, in order to pay the researcher. And that's, I think, really important. Students are really on board with this. They fully understand that their quality of education is suffering, and it's, and it's in these kind of indirect ways. The fourth thing that they asked for is put some stable money into crumbling infrastructure. We heard stories from people across the country who, you know, like we had researchers crying, and that's not a pretty sight. You know, talking about labs that they can't keep operating, talking about equipment, having to send their data somewhere else and have it come back, things getting lost. Other things like not having lights on funding where they've got this fabulous piece of equipment in a loading dock on a pallet, but they can't actually turn it on because they don't have operation and maintenance funding. This is not smart management. This is just not smart. So putting stable money into that and fund research in general, so the success rates are high, like I talked about, 8% for 
for health research and in the low 20s for social science and humanities research. It's, it's, it's not tenable. It leaves too many people out. Okay, I'm going to zip through these ones. I'm not even going to zip through these ones because I've gotten a look. <laughs> but this is, I just want to talk about this. Right now, the way that infrastructure gets funded, research infrastructure gets funded, it kind of happens on an ad hoc basis. I work in the, in the Office of Research Services, and we'll get a call, and it's like from the federal government, the CFI, uh, Canadian Foundation for Infrastructure, and, 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 and it's like, you know, you have an allocation. Nobody knows how this allocation happens. I think it's just like somebody finds something under a placemat somewhere, or, you know, like, who knows? It's, you know, when you take your suit to the cleaners and it's like, oh, we better get rid of this. And so, and so we see these, these really uneven kinds of records of how infrastructure gets funded. So, uh, so one of the things that we really did ask for was to stabilize CFI funding so that researchers and universities can have a sense of what money is coming to them and make plans. I mean, we have this gorgeous big building over there and we have to be making some plans about how to fill it. And under this kind of a, a jagged line, that gets real challenging. So we asked for a lot of money you know, it seems like a lot of money. So we, this is all the list of things, you know, fund research chairs better, fund students better, you know, stabilize the money for infrastructure, increase the success rates for researchers, forget about innovation and start letting researchers drive the machine. Maybe you could bump up our lab budgets a little bit. And it comes to, for the first year, and because we, we were terrified, you know, to ask for too much. It comes to the first year to $386 million. And by year four, we're actually asking for $1.3 billion. That sounds like so much money, doesn't it? But $1.3 billion is 0.4% of our federal budget. It is not a big portion of the federal budget. And the increase that we're asking for is 0.1.7. It's, you know, it's less than 0.2. And so we're not asking proportionately for a big increase, but, I th but we believe, and we believe strongly, that the impact of doing that for Canada, reputationally, lifestyle-wise, quality of life-wise, training a next generation of new researchers, you know, elevating our climate and increasing our citizenship's quality of life is enormous. So, Urgent action is needed. Uh, I would ask you to contact your local MP. Um, I would also, because that local MP is a conservative member of parliament and may have less direct influence on policy decisions than we dream of, um, that, uh, that you contact the Minister of Finance and the Minister of Science and ask them to support the, the findings of the, of the panel. And like I say, I will send information through Knut to the group if that's of interest. Thank you.